0: It's and a touchdown. Fell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Darnold escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Darnold. He'll hit immediately when he really got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the <laughs> q Oh my gosh. God,
1: listen, thank you.
0: From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at jet one And on Thursday for the second week in a row, last week because the Jets were playing on Thursday night football against the Denver Broncos, this week because we were waiting to get the news about Sam Darnold and whether or not he's going to play in this game on Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals. It's a day-late version of Midweek with Manish. Manish Mehta covering the Jets for the New York Daily News. What's going on, Manish?
1: How you doing, Scott?
0: I'm doing fine, Manish. Certainly a lot better than Kalen Balazs right now.
1: <laughs> well, Kalen Balazs' reward for missing a couple blitzes the other night was getting cut, and then he took to social media and proclaimed that he was the fall guy, which is uh, an interesting uh, <laughs> description given that uh, his failures were exactly uh, the reason why he was cut. So it's not, you know, it's not a big signing. Obviously, I know he, you know people talked about it because the Jets traded for him, and then that fell through, and then they ultimately signed him. But, uh, you know, this is a, a move that you, you can't really disagree with. It's just It was a strange move to begin with because he wasn't particularly good uh, in Miami.
0: A note to Kalen Balazs here. When you're actually terrible and it's justified what happens to you, you are not the fall guy. So maybe you want to <laughs> look that term up so you can figure out what it actually means. Let's talk about some players that are going to be here and are very important, including, of course, Sam Darnold, who we mentioned before, because that's the reason that we're doing this a day late. The Jets have announced that Sam Darnold is not going to play on Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals. What is your understanding on how this decision unfolded?
1: Well, look, he, he wants to play. He said as much on Monday you wouldn't really expect anything else from Darnold. Uh, you know, it's frustrating for him to miss time. He's missed three games in each of his first two seasons due to injury and illness. So he wants to get out there. You know, I understand that. And maybe, you know, physically he he could technically uh, get out there on Sunday and play against the Cardinals. But you know, my understanding, uh, even early in the week, was that the Jets were not planning on playing him. Uh, they didn't want to be reckless, which is ironic, because I thought they were reckless the other night when they – through Mackay Becton out there on a short week with the shoulder injury, but uh, you know, at least the people I spoke to, uh, there was a thought in the organization that it would be smarter to give Darnold more time to to rest his separated shoulder because that's what it is. Uh, the technical term is AC uh, joint sprain. Uh, I don't know the the degree of it because uh, Sam Darnold did not divulge that earlier in the week, but. Uh, it's essentially a separated shoulder, and it's his throwing shoulder. So even though he had a similar injury in high school, that was on his left shoulder, his non-throwing shoulder, uh, and he didn't miss any time. But it's a whole different ballgame, obviously, if you're a right-handed quarterback and you separated your shoulder. So technically, could he play? Perhaps, but the the thinking early in the week from the organization was that they didn't want to they didn't want to risk it. Want to give him more time to rest. Uh, uh, and the other factor, Scott, is that if he did indeed play against Arizona on Sunday, he would obviously be uh, shot up with some kind of painkiller, and then he would obviously feel a lot of pain after that wore off on Sunday night, and then on Monday, probably Tuesday. And that's a cycle you just don't want to get into. because The pain doesn't subside if you keep playing on Sundays. Uh, So do you really want to shoot up Darnold with a painkilling or pain-numbing shot every single week for the next 12 games and have him feel that pain? And who knows if that pain lingers into Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. uh, The more he plays... Uh, the harder it is for him to actually heal. So, uh, you know, even though it's frustrating for him, I'm sure it's frustrating for Jet fans who want to see him play, uh, the wiser course of action has always been to sit him down at least for one more game and see how he feels the following week. Uh, and ultimately, I you know, I think that's the right decision.
0: Speaking of important decisions involving the health of potential cornerstone players of the Jets franchise, Makai Becton last week was made active even though it was said he would only play in an emergency. He eventually got shoved into the game, looked like he got himself hurt a little bit more. I had said on Twitter and on the podcast after the game that whoever was responsible for that decision should probably be fired because it's inexcusable. You do not risk one of the key pieces of your team, 21-year-old left tackle who looks like he's going to potentially be there for the next 10 to 15 years. On a game like that, especially when he's not healthy, you risk further injury, further damage. I can't even fathom how that decision was made. What do we know about how that came about and who was behind making Makai Becton active for that game?
1: Well, I think you summarized it up in one word that is perfect, frankly, Scott, inexcusable. And uh, you know, ultimately, the head coach makes the decision who plays in games and who doesn't? But uh, just to give fans a little bit of background on how these decisions are made before the game, uh, you know, assuming that you're not ruled out on you know Friday or Saturday, on game day morning, if you are an injured player with you know some doubt as far as your availability is concerned, the training staff, the medical staff, the head coach, and the general manager typically evaluate the player in pregame warm-ups. You, you you see it all across the league every week every year that's how it works uh at the very least you'll see the general manager the doctor and the trainer together uh you know watching a guy if he's got a hamstring issue uh you know run routes for example and and then ultimately they'll sign off before submitting their inactive list 90 minutes before kickoff so you know sometimes you don't see the head coach out there uh depending on the player you know it d- depending on the situation uh but you know I, I'm, I'm trying to think back the last 10, 15 years when you know there was a player who was uh, a quote unquote game time decision. And I think in virtually every instance I can recall the general manager, doctor and trainer kind of huddling up uh, watching the player, and then when the player is done working out before the game, you know discussing what the the right course of action is in terms of making that player inactive or a- active. So you know, this is a failure, uh, and, I, and I've said as much over the past week or so. This is a failure on not only Adam Gase's fault for ultimately putting Beckton in the game after Chuma and Doga got hurt a few snaps into it, but it's also a failure on the general manager Joe Douglas' fault for signing off on this. And you know, you can get into the details about well, the head coach decides who plays, not the general manager. That's not that's not how it works. In terms of active and inactive, uh, the GM, the head coach the medical and training staff, have to all be on the same page. So ultimately, Joe Douglas signed off on Becton being active. And, you know, you know, I had somebody tell me, somebody who was particularly annoyed uh, in the organization about this decision, and they put it this way. Uh, look, Mackay Becton's either your starting left tackle or he's not playing. That's it. There's no in-between. You, you don't make him – if he's active – uh, and healthy enough to play in a quote-unquote emergency, he should start. And obviously, he wasn't healthy enough to start, so he should not have played. It's you know bordering on malpractice. It's just inept decision making. You know, and I hate to be blunt about it, but uh, you know, I'm just echoing what you said, Scott. It's inept. This is a young, promising player who started off his career, uh, you know, pretty well in these first few weeks, uh, and he's also playing a premium position, by the way, protecting your so-called most valuable asset, the quarterback. Why risk uh, further damage? Uh, and this notion you know, that Adam Gase said it's a pain-tolerance issue, again, that to me is nonsense. Uh, just because it's a pain-tolerance issue doesn't mean it's not a significant issue. You, know, you don't want guys playing unnecessarily in pain because ultimately they're not going to be effective. And nobody truly knows whether a guy can do further damage because nobody knows the person's body other than the player. Uh, it was just a mess. It was handled so poorly uh, all, you know, by everybody. Everybody involved, and uh, you know, I think chief among them was the head coach and the general manager. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet.
0: Mackay Becton, Sam Darnold, two major injury issues for the Jets. What about the rest of these players that are scheduled to come off of IR? We've got Le'Veon Bell, Denzel Mims, several others. What's the latest on what's going to happen with those guys?
1: Well, Levion Bell and Denzel Mims are dealing with the hamstring, and they're both eligible to come off of injured reserve uh, this week. Uh, And, you know, as every football fan knows, hamstrings are fickle, especially when you're talking about a running back and a wide receiver. So, uh, you know, Le'Veon Bell has had a lot of time. I know he's been itching to get back out there. Uh, He's probably going to push to play uh, if anyone knows about him. And I think that fans already know about how he feels about sitting out. So, uh, you know, let's let's see how the rest of the week uh, goes. But I think his intention is to play. Denzel Mims... Uh, hasn't played a snap yet because of the two hamstring injuries. So, uh, you know, I think with hamstring injuries, it's it's better to err on the side of caution uh, when you're trying to figure out whether the player is going to be ready or not. You almost want to see how the entire week progresses because the last thing you want is for a guy to be limited in practice early, middle week, and then something happens on Friday and that sets him back. Because You see it all the time in the NFL when you're talking about hamstrings and receivers and running backs. So I, I think... Uh, it's more of a wait-and-see approach with those guys. Uh, hopefully the time off for their sake and the team's sake has done them well because uh, you know, Sam Darnold, Adam Gase, this entire offense could use both of those guys right now.
0: Manish, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Of course, that's Adam Gase. The team is 0-4. The fans are screaming for him to be fired. The Jets have decided that he's not going anywhere. And at least as of now, there are no plans for the team to move on from Gase until after the season. If then, of course, if Gase turns this around, then he'll stay. I'm saying if this continues... And the rationale given publicly is that this could get worse or they're afraid that it could do further damage to Sam Darnold, which on its face is ridiculous. But they're peddling the notion that it's pointless to get rid of somebody in season, that a lot of times it makes things worse. But the data doesn't back this up because as our friend Michael Nania of JetsXFactor.com has dug up, of course, Michael, a weekly guest here on the show as well, 20 teams have fired their coach midseason from 2010 to 2019, their win percentage with their interim coach versus the original coach, 15 times out of 20, it was better. One time, it didn't move at all. Four times, it was worse. So you're looking at 16 out of 20 times, there was no negative change. 15 out of 20 times, there was a positive change. And if you want the actual winning percentages, now, obviously, this can get skewed a little bit because One coach could do really well, and one coach could do really poorly the other end, and it could mix it that way. But still, it is interesting to look within the context of the 20 teams firing a coach midseason, as Michael suggested. 282 was the combined winning percentage of the coaches that were fired. And then after the firing, 375 was the winning percentage of the coaches afterwards. So... It's not an incredible jump, but it does show you that a lot of times it sparks something. And I'm not saying that putting Greg Williams or Brant Boyer or whoever else in charge of this team on an interim basis is going to mean that the Jets are going to win nine games out of their last 12 and make the playoffs or something. But still, it does show you that this appears to be a very bogus excuse on the Jets' part. Is it something they truly believe, or is it what they think is the best story to sell to fans?
1: (laughs) Honestly, I I do not know how anybody uh, who has watched the Jets over the past uh, 20 games or however long Adam Gase has been around could think that Sam Darnold would be harmed by no longer having Adam Gase around, that to me is befuddling. And I can't speak, Scott, to people's motivations—why you know, wh- you know, you know, why they would get that out there, or what the uh, you know what the rationale would be. I just think if you look at this objectively and fairly, how could Sam Darnold be worse than he is with uh, a different coach? Uh, you know, whether it's Jim Bob Cooter, which you would assume. Uh, or somebody else on that staff. I mean, obviously, Cooter's the most uh, uh, well-equipped to, to take over. I, I just don't understand that logic. It's just not it's not logical. And I think what's frustrating to a lot of fans, at least the fans that you know I've encountered uh, you know, over the past uh, you know few weeks, is that it really is insulting to their intelligence. It's really insulting to any Jet followers' intelligence to to even peddle the notion. A reason to keep Adam Gase would because, would be because Darnold would be worse off if Gase weren't around. I mean, have they watched the past year-plus of football with this head coach? Have they watched the offense? Uh, are they turning a blind eye to reality? And reality suggests by every statistical measure the Jets' offense is absolutely horrible. There, there is a reason why they're, what, bottom Two or three in virtually every category, and we don't have to go through every category. I, you know, I've, I've mentioned it, you know, the basics, uh, and then even when you get into the into you know the details of, you know how inept this offense is. Sam Darnold has regressed, and, and I you know even the biggest Sam Darnold supporter, and I think I'm among the you know the the bigger supporters of this quarterback, will tell you that he's taken a step backwards. You you're not, you're not being honest. If you're suggesting he did not take a step backwards, the question becomes he's taken a step backwards with Adam Gase. So, what downside is it to move on from Adam Gase? I, I don't, you know, the logic again is insulting to, it should be insulting to any fair minded person. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. And I think that's part of the frustration because I think, you know, rational, clear thinking people get frustrated because, uh, you know, they don't quite understand how that could even be. Uh, you know, a theory, or, or that could even be a, a reason for keeping Gase. It's ridiculous. It, you know, it's ridiculous uh, on every possible level. And, uh, you know, I use the word insulting over and over because that's really what it is. You know, if I were a Jet fan and people were throwing that as as the reason why Gase is not here, I mean, that's ridiculous. I think that the real reason is, look, Christopher Johnson is fully invested in this coach. You know, he went to, uh, You know, he went to the extreme a few weeks ago. He didn't just give Gase a a public show of support. He called him brilliant, and that's obviously coming back to bite him. Uh, And, uh, you know, when you're that fully invested, I don't think you can walk back the brilliant offensive mind statement three weeks later. I think you can walk it back maybe, you know, a couple months later or after the season for sure. But, uh, you know, to say something that strong and then a couple weeks later move off, that would make Christopher Johnson – Look worse to, you know, to the fan base and really to the NFL public at large more so than he already does.
0: Manish, you said something on the show last week that really stuck with me, and it was that it takes a village for a team to be this bad. And that's 100% true. We can sit here and talk poorly about Adam Gase till the cows come home, and justifiably so. He's done a terrible job. But it's not all Adam Gase's fault. The fault lies in a variety of different directions. Christopher and Woody Johnson have done a very poor job of making decisions. I think that's quite evident at this point. The job of the previous general manager, Mike McKagan, that plays heavily into this because there are guys that he should have drafted that could still be here making a difference. Because of his poor drafting and his poor roster construction, this team is is bereft of talent. And of course, we could talk about how Sam Darnold has regressed majorly. There are a variety of reasons for that. It doesn't really matter at this point how it happened, but it has happened. And so that's a big part of why this team is so bad right now. And then we get to Joe Douglas, and I don't think he deserves anywhere near as much blame as his predecessor, Mike McKagan or Adam Gase. But I do think that it's fair to start criticizing some of the decisions that he made. Now, when Robbie Anderson left, Many of us criticize this And I do understand that there are people that will say Well maybe Robbie didn't want to stay No matter what Maybe he just wanted to go play with Matt Rule And I think that that's fair to assume But I also think that the Jets could have retained Robbie Anderson If they had gone above and beyond, if they had offered more money than what Carolina did, and Carolina didn't even end up offering him that much money. From what I understand, and Manish, you can talk about this too, the Jets never really made much of an effort. They made Robbie Anderson a one-year offer for not that much money, and they weren't super interested in keeping him around. And so that's why he left, and look at what he's doing now. He's sixth in the league in receiving The offensive line, I was critical of some of the moves. I think George Fant actually turned out to be a pretty good one. He's been solid. Makai Becton, obviously, looks like he's going to be a keeper. Those two moves were good. I can't really kill the Connor McGovern move yet. He's played poorly, but he's still an improvement over what they had, and I'll give him some time But the other two, the guards, Alex Lewis, guy who gets hurt all the time and has played poorly now. He played okay last year. You have Greg Van Roten, who's been very, very bad. And then you look at the receivers, and that's really the biggest crime. Like we talked about, Robbie Anderson walks out the door, and they replace him with Brashad Perriman. I love Denzel Mims, but even if he was healthy, you knew that it was going to take some time for him to really get up to speed. A little bit of a development curve there. Probably looking at best case scenario, him catching on somewhere in the week five to week six range. That's what happens with most of these rookie wide receivers. So to have Sam Darnold going into this season where you knew it was make or break, and the best you can do for him is Brashad Perriman and a developmental rookie at wide receiver to go with Jamison Crowder, who's your slot guy, that was a big problem. And then you look on the other side of the ball defensively, I understand what he was doing. He didn't want to commit big contracts to a lot of these guys, and you and I have talked about Yannick Ngakwe, Manish. There's no way I would have traded for Ngakwe, not because I don't think is a great player, but for a guy that you have no guarantees of being able to sign beyond the season, it just seemed crazy to me. When the team in all honesty is In the rebuilding process now Clowney's a different story I would have Gone after Clowney and I'm not saying that He would make that much of a difference Considering how bad the defense is played But he would have helped shore up a couple Of big weaknesses that we're seeing the Jets Have let up a ton of big runs we know that Clowney is one of the best run defenders In the league on the defensive line Off the edge and of course he couldn't Possibly do a worse job of getting pressure On the quarterback than the Jets have done At large over the first few weeks Quentin Williams has done pretty well and so has John Franklin Myers but that's been about it in terms of creating pressure so there's certainly some criticism to go around here I'm not critical of the Jamal Adams thing I know you are I'm fine with that I was absolutely fine with trading them and especially for the haul that they got I don't have any problem with that But I do think that there are things that we can look at here with Joe Douglas and criticize, and it's fair to lump him in now. Again, I don't think he bears anywhere near as much blame as Gase or McCagnon for where the Jets are right now, but it is absolutely fair to be critical of some of the moves that Douglas has made and be cautiously optimistic about him going forward, but also not give him blind trust. It's one thing to give him some benefit of the doubt, but I think that some of these moves have not been great and blind trust has not been earned the way that, say, Bill Belichick has earned blind trust. And I know that Bill Belichick has had his missteps too, but the point is Belichick has been so successful so many times that if he makes a questionable move, fans will swallow it. I don't think Joe Douglas has earned that yet. He's got a long way to go before he gets to that point.
1: I completely agree with you. Uh, I don't think he's earned that trust. Uh, He certainly hasn't earned the benefit of the the doubt. And look, he hasn't been around as long as Adam Gase. He obviously hasn't been around as long as Mike McKagan, who was here for years. So when you put the hierarchy of who's to blame most, Joe Douglas is not at the top of the list, but it's as if he was shielded by Gase. All of the vitriol directed toward Gase uh, is is warranted, you know, for all the reasons that we've discussed today and all the reasons we've discussed over the past year. Uh, that criticism is warranted, but it almost feels like uh, Joe Douglas is kind of, you know, hidden in the shadows and not taking any responsibility or accountability for where the Jets are right now. And uh, even though I think Gase is most to blame, uh, you know, obviously take the ownership out of the equation, everything starts at the top, but if you take that out of the equation, I think Gase is more to blame, I should say, than Joe Douglas, but look at the moves that Joe Douglas has made since he got here. Nobody's expecting miracles, and nobody's expecting a transformation, even though for some reason Douglas said before the season started that if you're not trying to win a Super Bowl every year, you should get out of this business. Obviously, he was not trying to win a Super Bowl with his moves, nor should he have. I don't think any Jet fan or anybody covering the team Thought that Joe Douglas should put all his chips to the middle of the table and the Jets should go for broke to try to win the Super Bowl in 2020. I think that's ludicrous. So uh, nobody is saying that. What I think is fascinating about Douglas and you outlined the moves and we've talked about these moves before. You know, not not getting weapons for Darnold, the offensive line, uh, even though it's new, uh, by virtually every statistical measure, they have underperformed. And I know that you know, allowing sacks and pressures and, and hurries and hits is a combination of offensive line, you know, running back protection, uh, quarterback decision-making. All those things factor in, but ultimately it doesn't reflect well on this new offensive line when you're 30th in pressures allowed, 29th in quarterback hits allowed, 28th in pressure percentage, and 25th in hurries. It's not all their fault, but Sam Darnold has also been sacked 12 times in four games. That's more uh, in terms of per game than he was sacked last year. Uh, you know, The offensive line, to me, is pedestrian at best, and I think I'm being generous. Makai Beckton has a promising future, without a doubt. He's a he's a rookie who's only played a few games. Uh, the interior of the line has been awful. You know, he, he, we don't know what the blocking schemes are and who's got to help when, and and uh, you know who's got man-to-man blocking uh, responsibilities on a given play. But I think it's fairly obvious that the interior of the line has been uh, subpar, to say the least. And you know, I think that George Fan has been pedestrian. You know, maybe he's more than that. Maybe he's better. Uh, but as a whole, this group has underperformed, and uh, you know Robbie Anderson. You know we've discussed plenty. I'm sure you've discussed plenty. He's he's actually got more combined catches and yards than the top two uh, Jets uh, receivers. Uh, you know to this point, who knows how that's going to finish. Uh, but Robbie Anderson clearly is a player that was worth keeping. And as you said, they didn't really make much of an effort. It was more of a dare, like, hey, this is our offer. We don't think you have a better offer, so we're going to sit tight and wait. And if you remember, Scott, during free agency, Robbie Anderson didn't sign for maybe a week and a half. It was you know, pretty late into free agency, into that second week, I believe. And the Jets kind of dared him and said, hey, we dare you to find something better. And you know what? He did. And he's thriving because of it. And the Jets are struggling partly because of it. No, I just don't think that that enough uh, criticism has gone Douglas's way to this point. If he had made better decisions, he wouldn't deserve this criticism. But uh, and I know that I think that you disagree with this on some level. I also believe that Douglas should be held accountable for what he says. And I know a general manager's job is to paint a rosy picture, but some of the stuff that Douglas has said is just. Know, looking back on it, it's been pretty laughable. You know, let's take Jamal out of the equation. We've discussed that a million times. But he said he was happy with the, he was excited about the the playmakers. He you know he mocked critics who suggested that the Jets had a uh, soft schedule in the back half of last year. Uh, he said players would be fired up and angry. And there hasn't been a, a more non-competitive team in the first month of the season than the Jets, and unless you want to you know talk about the Giants. But but clearly, uh, what Joe Douglas painted in the offseason and right before the start of the regular season hasn't come to fruition. So what I find interesting or you know, confounding in some respects is that the Jet fan, as you said, Scott, they want to believe in this guy. They don't have much else to believe in. They don't believe in the head coach. There's likely going to be a change there. They don't believe in ownership. Uh, the quarterback, who they used to believe in, you know, has shown some warts in his game, so they're unsure about him. So who is left? It's Joe Douglas. So these people that, that care about the team, that talk about the team, that go to the games when they were allowed to go to the games, that buy merchandise, they want to believe in Joe Douglas. So why not just be straightforward? You don't have to give away the secrets. You don't have to give away your entire blueprint. But some of the stuff that Douglas has said has been misleading. It's been misleading to fans, and as I said earlier about a different topic, it's insulting to fans. I don't quite understand that. You're the general manager. These people want to be on your side. Just shoot them straight. You can do that without giving away every detail of your plan. Nobody's asking to do that. But just shoot them straight. Don't give them this fairy tale picture that's not true. And that, to me, has been uh, pretty interesting uh, from what I've heard behind the scenes and obviously what Douglas has said publicly.
0: I definitely understand what you're saying, Manish. I just don't really care what he says because it's all white noise to me when these coaches and general managers talk for the most part. But I do think that the main point here is... As much as we're all still hopeful about Joe Douglas, it's got to be cautious optimism because there have been moments where he's misstepped. And like you said, the offensive line, I'll give him a little bit more credit than you have. I think that Fant has been pretty solid. Beckton is really good. So you may have two keepers, At tackle which is something you didn't have For five years when McCagnin was here So right away that's an improvement But he's got to do more to fix The interior offensive line We'll see if Cam Clark gets in there at some point But to me the biggest failing of course Was you knew you had Sam Darnold hanging in the balance You let Robbie Anderson go Without properly replacing him And that As you said, Manish, is inexcusable That, to me, is his biggest failure As general manager so far We'll see what he does To attempt to fix this in the offseason But he's got a lot of work Ahead of him because They're going to have to hire a new head coach They're going to have to continue to completely overhaul This roster, and let's be honest This team is a complete mess right now So there is, hopefully Light at the end of the tunnel But as I said, the word is hopefully You can't have blind trust, he hasn't earned that yet and i think that's the important part of this equation at the moment manish Mehta covering the jets for the new york daily news thanks so much for coming on as always really appreciate it i know you've got a bunch going on in the daily news in fact you wrote about the topic that we just talked about joe douglas and several other things and you're gonna have plenty of stuff right up until kickoff on sunday what's cooking at the daily news
1: well yeah Probably one simple question. Uh, who is going to cover DeAndre Hopkins?
0: <laughs> Spoiler alert, Manish, nobody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be uh, an interesting test for Greg Williams. You know, we focused a lot on the offense today, but, you know, the secondary's had some issues, obviously. Uh, they had some issues the other night. And you're talking about, uh, if not the best wide receiver in football, clearly one of the top handful of players who's really gotten off to a, a solid start in his uh, new home in Arizona. And, uh, look, the Jets had trouble with Josh Allen, who was a mobile quarterback. Well, guess what? They play uh, a pretty mobile quarterback this week in Arizona, and Kyler Murray as well. So, uh, you know, if they're they're not careful in maintaining their rush lanes, Kyler Murray could, uh, you know, ruin your day with his feet.
0: He certainly can, and we saw Josh Allen do that to the Jets in Week 1. So, wouldn't be surprised if he does a lot of that on Sunday at MetLife Stadium Go ahead and follow Manish on Twitter and read his work over at The Daily News. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you can go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.